Father, thank you so much that Amanda is going to be speaking to us here today, Lord. Um, I just pray that it will really speak to all of us in an incredibly powerful way, especially in light of the video we've just seen too, Lord. Um, I just pray that this will really prompt us into action, action that we wouldn't be able to do without your Holy Spirit, Lord. I'll say in your name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I've only got 30 pages here to get through. I hope that's okay, yeah? Um, <laughs> um, what a wonderful service it's been so far. It's so lovely to be back here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I invited myself, actually, and they said yes. So um, it's just such a privilege to be here. And um, Lou would be here as well, except he's actually speaking at our church in the city this morning. So he says a big hello. And I look around and I see some... Um, amazing men and women this morning and um, it's so lovely to count you as friends and uh, I hope that the message this morning is one that as Dee said is filled with hope because whenever we start to talk about the stuff that's happening in the world it can get really we, we can get weighed down can't we by the things that are wrong with our world but if we need if we sort of transfer our perspective from a, to a God perspective, then the hope starts to come in. So I hope that happens this morning, even though we're going to talk about some difficult stuff as well. So um, shall we pray? I, we're going to pray for all the people who are daughters here this morning. Can you stand up if you're a daughter? Okay, wonderful. Okay, now we're going to stand up. If you have a mother, can you stand up? And if you can't stand up, then just lift your hand or nod or whatever. Okay, I think that's probably all of us, yeah? Um, if you don't have a mother now, but you have had a mother in the past, would you stand up? My goodness, some of you are very pedantic, aren't you? <laughs> if you've had a mother at any time. <laughs> okay, we're going to pray for all of us. And uh, the fact that mums and daughters and sisters are so important in our lives, aren't they? Yeah. Okay, Lord God, we thank you for the women in our lives. We thank you for our sisters, for our daughters, for our mums, for our grandparents. And uh, we thank you for the youngest ones um, here today, right through to the very oldest ones. And we also pray for the men who are the brothers and dads and sons to those women. Because together, male and female, we reflect your glory and who you are. Thank you, Lord. May our message this morning, may our words and our hearts and our listening be tuned in to your view of what it is to be a son or a daughter of Jesus or God. Amen. Thank you, guys. It's lovely to see um, a two-month-old baby here, which is it's lovely. It's the first time I've seen her in person. I've only, I'll have to go and say hello to her later. Um, when I was thinking about talking about gender, Forest Hill doesn't really need to hear it, does it? You know, you're fine. You have women preachers, you have women leaders, you have um, pastors, um, you have men and women and relationships that reflect God. And it's wonderful, much better than in some churches that I go to. But indeed, last Saturday, I was at a meeting of women in Leighton Buzzard, 
from about six different churches and they were telling me what it's like in their churches and I thought my goodness this is Leighton Buzzard you know this is <laughs> England in uh, and we still have to talk about these issues it seems a bit odd but we need to remind ourselves I guess of God's view of men and women because all the time we're being bombarded with this other stuff aren't we the Donald Trump view of women um, it's just, you know, awful um, that he says and allegedly does such things. And still, I have seen, I follow quite a few blogs and Facebook things about women and gender, and still women are defending that man. And I sort of think, Christian women, and I think, what's happening here? Have we lost our God perspective on stuff and got so embroiled in the world's way of seeing things? And just yesterday and the day before, you know, a footballer was, um, you know, uh, found not guilty after being previously found guilty of rape. And it was seemed like fairly murky circumstances. And we wonder where God's justice and right and wrong are going in our world. So we do need to hear that we're impacted by the lives of women, that God has a view on this, and it's about us. So that when we're at work, when we're with our families, we can give a God perspective that isn't just full of anger or disappointment or feminist rage, but is really reflecting God's eternal values. Yeah? I think that's really important. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, if that's all right. Okay? We're going to look at what is happening around the world with women. Thank you very much, Chris. That's it. So... Um, But again, this isn't to depress us. It's just to give us a perspective on life and uh, the fact that we live in a world that is fallen. Okay, about one in three women experience physical or sexual violence at some time in their lives. When I first started hearing these statistics, I thought, that can't be right. You know, I hang around with lots of people and, you know, it's not right. But then you start to delve into it and you realize that unfortunately um, it probably is And if it's true in the big world, then it may be true in churches as well, unfortunately. And some of that violence happens even before girls are born. So um, there was a gang of about 75 people in India arrested yesterday, I don't know whether you heard, um, for running a racket of uh, sex selection abortion, illegally, of course, in 30, um, what do you call them, provinces in China? provinces or states in China Um, and they were raking in millions um, allowing uh, parents to choose to have a boy rather than a girl can you imagine all of us with daughters what it must be like to think oh I don't really feel like having a girl I'd much rather have a boy and despite the fact that boys are wonderful we need girls as well yeah And um, apparently there are something like 110 million men in China who will not be able to find a wife because of the stupid decisions of people who think that it's better to have a boy than a girl. You know, God doesn't like the balance of his world being messed up. Three million girls this year will undergo female genital mutilation of some sort. And if you don't know what that is, um, you could look it up. And it ranges from a fairly simple but painful operation through to the most grotesque physical um, 
deformities that result as a, re as a result of those operations. They're done for no medical reason at all, but simply to stop women from enjoying sex or for thinking that, you know, that they are sexual beings. Um, trafficking, of course, is a major industry and uh, involving billions of dollars and up to two million people a year. And the reason that's included in a talk about gender, of course, is because the majority of them are female and the majority of them are poor. They might be domestic servants, they might work in factories, they might work in brothels. They're all intimidated and have no rights. And I know a number of you here are involved in um, charities like Stop the Traffic or are very aware of those issues. I was speaking to a wonderful woman on Tuesday called Tanya. I met her for the first time, and she has a small team who go to Whitechapel um, most, many nights during the week, and they just walk the streets talking to the prostitutes there. Um, unfortunately, there are quite a few that they can talk to. And she said they're all from Eastern Europe, and as far as she can tell, they have all been trafficked. Um, they are afraid to talk. They won't take gifts from them. You know, sometimes they've wanted to take, you know, just little simple gifts to show them that they're loved and appreciated. They won't take them because they're too afraid to show that they've been talking to anybody. And then they moved on after a couple of months. And Tanya says, how on earth can we show the love of God in that situation? And she says, all we can do is to tell them that they are valued and loved and that there's a God who cares for them because we can do nothing else in, our, in what we're doing. But there are other things that we can do, of course, but she's doing it on the ground, just reaching out to some women who need, desperately need to know that they're loved. There's around 700 million women in the world at the moment who were married before they were 18, and about a quarter of a billion of girls were married before their 15th birthday. Okay, I want you to imagine what you were like or what your sister was like when she was 13 or 14. Or maybe you've got a daughter who's around that age now or will be soon and you think, why would you ever want to see a little girl like that married? And all that that means, of course, it will mean probably hard domestic labor. It will mean having babies too soon for a, a young body to cope with. And it will probably mean a not very loving relationship anyway. And then of the eight Millennium Development Goals ambitiously set in 2000, there was one that was designed to cut maternal mortality by three quarters. The one goal that fell shortest in being achieved was that one out of all the eight. Why do you think that is? Do you think that might have something to do with the fact that governments simply don't see women as a priority? And that perhaps sports stadiums and weapons, might, there might be money for those, but not for maternity clinics. And so you start to think, should I get angry about those sorts of things? Let's go to the next slide. What can our um, reaction be? Sorry, the last one there was about here in the UK, body image is uh, the number one issue affecting teenage girls. And I'm sure if you've got teenagers or you're a teacher, you will know that that sexting and pornography and all of that sort of thing is a real issue for teenagers. So how do we respond? Okay, we could say, well, things are slowly getting better. We could get angry. Lots of people get angry. Lots of women get angry. I meet them, angry women. 
Do we say that we should respect cultural differences? Do we say, and I haven't got this one on the board, but do we say, well, if everyone were to become a Christian, all these problems would go away? And spiritually, and part of me wants to say, yes, that's true. Isn't that right? That if we were all Christians, then we wouldn't have any of these issues. What's the problem with that argument? I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, even though you know, appearances might suggest otherwise, I am not perfect. I sin. And that's the problem with you know, dealing with Christians, isn't it? We go on sinning. We do terrible things, even though we hope that we're being transformed. So there is you know, a glorious hope in saying we should make the world more, more and more Christian and we should see people coming to love Jesus and being transformed. But we also realize that that's not the only answer. We also have to be working and pressuring and transforming our world as well. So do we pray? Yes. Do we give some money? Yes. You're wonderfully taking up a collection for the most needy in Syria. That's wonderful. We give money for girls' education. We give money for clinics for girls and women. Do we educate our own girls and boys? I urge you to do that. If you are a mum or a dad, or you would like to be one day, or you've got grandkids, we need to be really showing them that the world's view of life and women and girls, the Kim Kardashian view of the world, is not right. I was um, talking to some girls in Kenya a little while ago, and wonderfully, whenever you ask them what they dream of, you know, they're in a school, they're they're coming out of poverty, and it's wonderful. And you say, what would you like to be? What are the answers they give? They always say things. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a doctor. And amazingly, some people are starting to say, I want to be a banker. But, you know, <laughs> none of them said, I want to be a celebrity. I want to be a footballer. I want to be Kim Kardashian. And I think that's wonderful. We need to try and preserve our girls and our boys um, in our society. So for those of you who are parents, you know, let's pray for parents of teenagers and for little girls as well, that they can really be educating boys and girls about a godly view of what it's like to be a woman and a man. And do we speak out? Yes, I think we should. We do need a spiritual response, I keep on saying, because it is hope-filled and joy-filled, and it's so easy to get depressed when we don't have that hope and that joy. Okay, we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 1, 2 to 20. You'll never be able to read it from up there. I'm just wondering if someone would like to read it out loud who likes reading. I know there are people who do like doing that. Would anyone like to find 1 Samuel chapter 1 and start at verse 2? quite a long passage but I think it's worth doing and we're going to read it out loud would someone like to volunteer yes thank you Naomi oh she's got a very big bible as well so this is this is promising thank you okay So Samuel had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. 
Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It was beautifully read. Um, Why does the writer choose to open this mighty book of Samuel with the story of Hannah. It's interesting, isn't it? You always have to say, why is it there? Why is that story in the Bible? Okay, what's the birth of Samuel? But it's a, it's a story about Hannah, about the mum. Elkanah's there, isn't he? He's a nice guy. He's loving. He's caring. Aren't I more important to you than ten sons? Well, he has another wife, you know. Um, but he is a nice guy. Um, But it's Hannah who shines. And I do have a message for men this morning. Sometimes it is hard in our world to let our wives, our daughters shine. And in the church as well. Sometimes it can be hard to let them shine, maybe even more than you. So please, just do it. Just enjoy it. Enjoy watching your girls shine for God. And uh, look what happens with Hannah. Yeah? 
Um, it's such a human story, and I think when it's told, it's often told in those terms, isn't it? Of a woman who couldn't have a baby, and look how God was gracious to her. And uh, she is heartbroken, but she is faithful. And when she is told, isn't she, by Eli, it's okay, God will answer your prayer, what does she do? She gets up and eats. That's a good life philosophy, I think, okay? To get up and eat, and uh, felt, she felt much better. We are told that the Lord kept her from having children. Now, is that just a way of saying things in Old Testament terms? It might be. But maybe it was so that she could grow in faith. Yeah, we do go through hard times as women and girls, and sometimes it's so that we can grow in faith. Maybe her sacrifice helps us understand the God story of sacrifice that is going to come in the New Testament. Yeah? So God is using a woman called Hannah, an obscure woman, to tell us about what it feels like to give up your son. And uh, her example of sacrificial parenthood contrasts quite strongly with Eli's example of parenthood. His sons, remember, you may remember, are greedy, they're corrupt, and they don't love God very much at all. And yet she is able to bring up her son Samuel and have enough influence in his life for him to be a true man of God. So it's not just a lovely story about a woman. It's a story about a woman who is changing society from a position of powerlessness. Now, there are very few women in this room who are powerless. We have education. We can speak our mind. We have a voice. But for many Christian women around the world, they don't have that privilege. And so this story is really for them in a a great way, that even if you're outside the circles of influence and power, you can still have an impact for God. Hannah certainly does. So at the time of Judges, God is for women. And uh, then if I can just talk a little bit about the attitude of Jesus... Because I know that in this church it's not an issue, but I know that we all have friends in other churches where still the leadership of women in a church can be an issue and whether women are allowed to teach. And we need to have a good biblical basis for our understanding rather than just saying, oh, it can't be right. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that's not right. But we've got to be able to say why it's not right. And so sometimes we, we need to remind ourselves Okay, this is a slide about Jesus we're going to go to. Okay, we'll leave that bit out. So I just wanted to say that uh, it's amazing the number of times prayers by women get into the Bible, yeah? And Hannah prays a wonderful prayer that is very, very similar to Mary's prayer in the New Testament. Have a look at them and compare them. And again, that's an example of her not just being a lovely woman, but being a powerful woman of God. Okay, what about Jesus? We know all this, but let's remind ourselves. He talked to women. Hey, radical. But it was, wasn't it? Because, for example, Josephus, a Jewish historian, says, said, the law says the woman is in all things inferior to the man. Let her accordingly be submissive. So that was the popular viewpoint that was taught in synagogues. But Jesus chose to talk to women, to defend them. He liked them. He treated them as equals. He honored women. Look at the way he treated his mother, asking John to look after her. He had sympathy for the woman who'd been bleeding. Um, He 
noticed the woman who was tithing her might. He had sympathy for the sisters of Lazarus who had lost their brother. He honored women. He rejected sexism about divorce. Okay, I think we all sort of know that, but it's good to be reminded that in Jesus' time, men could virtually use any reason they wanted to divorce their wives. And Jesus says to men, he was having none of that. He said, marriage is a a relationship of mutual respect. And if you're thinking about adultery and blaming women for adultery, which they did, he says to the men, even if you look at a woman, another woman, with lust in your eyes, that's the same as committing adultery. He changed the standards completely, didn't he? And he defended women. And I think we forget how different it was in that society compared to our own. But we need to remind ourselves just how radical Jesus was in his associations with women. He associated with unclean women, with rejected women. Um, He trusted women with profound truths. And this is important because it wasn't just a sympathetic reaching out to the lowly and the rejected. He trusted them with information. He included them in his teaching. He told the Samaritan woman, for instance, didn't he? He said, I'm the Messiah. This woman of dubious reputation hanging around a well, he tells her what he's about. And she goes back and says, I just met the man who's, you know, told me all about my life. And, she, you know, she was broadcasting the gospel message. It's a wonderful story. And, of course, he trusted the news of the resurrection to women first. And he had women followers, Among Jesus' disciples, we know the names of 17 male followers of Jesus, close friends. I'm sure Nigel could name them all. But there are also seven um, women who are named. Did you know that? So 17 men, seven women. Now, that's not a bad balance, is it, considering the fact that women were mostly uneducated and didn't know about, weren't taught in synagogues because they weren't considered, you know, intelligent enough or important enough to do so. So it's a wonderful story of God reaching out through Jesus and saying, hey, women are important. But then we get to Paul, don't we, yeah? And the church. And that's where people sort of come unstuck a little bit. And that's where you might come across women, people saying to you, but ah, oh, Paul said, Paul said, it's in the, you know, the, but let's have a quick look, all right? Let's the next slide. This is, okay, the first thing is, full stop, The Holy Spirit came on men and women equally. Yeah? There's no argument with that. So, yeah, we should just accept it. Okay, next one. Women were vital in the establishment of churches. When Paul went to Philippi, who did he hang out with? A group of women who were praying outside the gate, and they were the ones who set up the church. And it wasn't just some tin pot town. This was a major city, and he entrusted women to start the church there. Okay, men and women were mutually important. In Galatians 3.28, it says, We are all equal, whether we are male or female, Jews or Gentiles, or slave or free. Yeah? I think we don't have much trouble with, you know, slaves and free. Yeah, of course, we're all equal. We don't have much trouble with Jews and Gentiles. But why do we, have, why do we find the male-female thing such a sticking point? I don't know in some circles. Women are named as leaders and co-workers. Twelve women are named by Paul as being leaders. 
leaders of house churches. He says they worked very hard in the Lord. And that doesn't mean that they were washing up out the back. It means, it's a word that means authority, leadership. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times as people who were leaders. And the woman's name comes first. Now that might be, you know, she was just a bit of an out there woman and her husband was a bit quieter, you know. But it's, it's, um, they were a team together. And in fact, they trained Apollos, who was a noted teacher. And then just one more story, which I find interesting. Um, two guys are mentioned as apostles in Romans 16. Andronicus and Junius. And uh, it's only recently been really known and broadcast that, in fact, the name wasn't Junius at all. It was changed to a male name somewhere along the way, maybe in the 13th century. And that, in fact, the name mentioned in the text is Junia, a woman. And so that there was a woman apostle who was being praised by Paul for being outstanding among the apostles. It's just a little thing, but it's so important for us to realize that God, in his whole story, is favoring women, respecting them, treating them as equals, and that we need to do that as well, not from some sense of you know, our rights or our entitlements or from secular feminism, but because it's there in the very character of God. Yeah? And then women were teachers and prophets, Thirteen women are mentioned by name by Paul as being having a gospel ministry. And um, I don't think we give Paul enough credit sometimes for the fact that he actually was quite pro-women because we remember those few verses where he talks about women being quiet. So let's go to it very quickly. Why did he say that? I'm sure lots of us know that. But he did say women should be silent and I don't allow them to have authority. Okay. Why silent? Because they were being given the chance to learn. That's the important thing. For the first time in their lives, they were allowed to sit and be taught and to learn things about God. Isn't that exciting? And of course they were excited, and of course they started chattering up the back. Oh, what does that mean? You know. <laughs> and Paul's saying, look, you're, you're allowed to learn, but learn quietly so that you're not disrupting everybody. And in fact, it might, the word might not actually be silent. It might be more learn in proper, if with proper order. You know, Don't get too disruptive. And we do know that some people do like to chat, don't they? And um, I, don't know whether, I don't know whether women talk more than men. I, I don't, you know, in my relationship, Lou is the talker and I'm not. So, you know, but everybody's different. I don't know whether women are gossipers or talk more or chatter more. It, maybe it's just, what do you reckon? <laughs> We're allowed to say yes or no. We're all different, you know, yeah? Okay. And the other thing, the authority thing, there is clear um, evidence that it was abusive authority and that perhaps there was some teaching going on coming over from the temples where women were used as prostitutes that was muddying the whole idea of what it was for women to learn and lead. And so we, we have to understand context, people. I don't see any women here with head covering. It says explicitly that you should raise holy hands in prayer. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And lots of people don't at all, ever. Does that mean that they're disobeying the, the, the word of the Lord? We're instructed to greet each other with a holy kiss. Did you do that this morning? 
maybe with some people, but with other people you would never do that because it would be, you know, it would not be polite. It would not be sensitive. And yet it's in the word of the God. It's in the Bible. It says that women under 60, if they're widows, they should remarry because of their sensual desires. You know? Do we insist on that today? No, we don't. Some things are cultural, yes? And we need to understand that and it's okay. But the eternal things are the things that say the Holy Spirit came on men and women equally. Was that just for that time? Well, some people would argue that the Holy Spirit only came for a short time. But we know that's not true because we see evidence of it today and we see that it's in God's character and that God in the beginning created male and female equally, yeah? We have to remind ourselves of those basic truths. And then we approach the difficult verses and we think, well, what do they actually mean? Because in that same passage, it says women shall be saved through childbirth. What if you don't have any? What if you're single? What if you can't have kids? It doesn't mean that. Obviously, there's some other thing happening there about the meaning, and I can't go into it because the time is gone. I'll, I'll let you talk to Nigel, and he can explain what that one means. Okay. <laughs> yes, it could well be not childbirth or child-rearing, but the birth of the child. In other words, Jesus. So in other words, another statement of equality. So, guys, I just want to encourage us that we can tell a different story because even in our society, sexism is rife, inequality is rife, and sometimes we don't quite know how to respond. And we need to be bold and talk about God's authority, God's love, God's standards, God's values, because they're the things that give us the hope bit and the joy bit rather than the angry bit or the, you know, and we sound strident and nobody likes us, all right? So try it out, okay? Try it out on your kids. Try it out at work. If it comes up in conversation, why Donald Trump is an absolute pillock, you know, um, try talking about the fact that it's, it's not godly. It's not respectful, okay? So I'm going to pray for you guys because... Um, these things are difficult, aren't they? And we need to have a God view. And uh, for some of us, there are difficulties with raising our children, with how we feel about men. Some of us might have difficulties because of our dads or our you know, husbands. Um, some of us might have difficulty with women because you know, we've, we've had some encounters with women that we're not really very keen on. So I'm going to pray for you. And uh, if you've got a special thing that you want prayer for about men and women and gender and how I fit into it all, then uh, please talk to somebody that you know is a good prayer and a good intercessor. But um, I would like to thank God for this church and also to pray for us that we can be prayers, we can be activists, and we can change the story for girls and women in our world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that in your word there is affirmation for every man and every woman that we are valued, for every boy, for every girl, for that man who came into here for good, unable to speak, and you affirmed that he had value, and uh, he's now 
much more in touch with you. We affirm, Lord, that for all of us, we can understand that and we want to share that with people in our society who don't understand, who've been damaged by abortion, who've been damaged by bad relationships, who were damaged by bad sexual encounters, who maybe have a bad understanding of mums and dads. Lord God, we also pray for us here. We know that because we love you, we can have hope and joy, but we also know that there are things in our lives sometimes that need a bit of prayer and need a bit of help to overcome. And so, Lord, if we've got anything in our lives about being a woman or being a man and what that really means and how I can do that better, then, Lord, we want to say, please help me to understand those things this week. Please help me to talk to somebody. Please help me to pray with somebody. And thank you, Lord, that this church represents such good values about what it means to be a man and a woman of God. Thank you, Lord. Amen.